I'm India and welcome to the second series of the Starter Ripple podcast. This series is proudly sponsored by Cotswold Outdoor, the outdoor experts working to change the fabric of outdoor retailing. And you can find out more about their sustainability mission and services on their website. Now, this podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk that are making ripples in their lives by moving in nature. And I'm here to find out a little bit more about how this connection with movement and nature is having an impact on their mind, body and the environment too. And I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big and see what happens from the ripples you create. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. Elise Downing is a runner, writer, public speaker, and most well-known for running 5,000 miles around the coast of Great Britain. And this achievement came as quite a surprise to everybody who knew her, as prior to this, the highlight of her sporting career had been running a marathon dressed as a Crayola crayon whilst crying. But with no prior experience of ultra running or solo adventuring, 23-year-old Elise set out on this challenge, just knowing it was something she had to do. And in August 2016, 10 months after setting out, she became the first woman and youngest person to run a lap of Great Britain self-supported. I'm delighted to have Elise join me on the Starter Ripple podcast to find out a little bit more about this mad adventure she embarked on. Right, so hi Elise, welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. Hi India, thanks, thanks for having me. So could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to where you are right now, I sort of always think of this as looking back at the ripples you've made in your life so far. Yeah, of course, so I guess, um, yeah, at the moment I, I live in Bristol, that's where I'm talking to you from today, um, but I guess my kind of main thing that we'll be talking about is Five years ago, I ran around the coast of Great Britain, which um, took about 10 months. It was 5,000 miles. So I did that in 2015 and 16. And I was 23 when I set off on that adventure. And prior to that, I had, I really wasn't a very good runner, which I was, I don't know, I feel like people think I'm just trying to be really humble when I say that, but it's honestly true. <laughs> I really wasn't much of a runner. I hadn't, I don't done a bit of walking and stuff but I hadn't done loads of adventure things um and I was just sitting at my desk at work one day it was my first job after graduating in London and I just had this idea of running around the coast of Britain I think ignorance was bliss so gosh knows what like madness made me actually do it but I was like I'm gonna go in six months and then um yeah so I did that five years ago and then my friends all laugh that I'm a one-hit wonder because I haven't done any more big adventures since <laughs> um but um since then yeah I've done a lot more I kind of work freelance now I've done a lot more kind of running and hiking and stuff but on I guess a bit of a smaller scale um no more 10 month adventures and then I've just written a book about that trip finally it took me a while to put pen to paper um which will be out this summer so that's been taking up a lot of my time and was much harder than actually doing the run sitting down in one place to get it on paper yeah I bet the thing is is once you you know you did something so so impressive run you know, round the coast of Britain, you set your bar quite high to begin with. So, you know, to, to do something else after that. And am I right in thinking you were the first woman to do that as well? 
Yeah, I think so. So it's a bit, it, I feel like it, because it's kind of an easy way to describe it almost, I always end up saying I was the youngest person and the first woman. And, and I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> there was um, a lady called Linda Pritchard in the 80s did a, a run kind of around the coast of Britain, but I think it was a lot more sort of like on the on the roads. So a lot of the, the trails that are around the coast now just weren't there then. Um, but she was also like supported. She had a support um, driver in a van. So it was the first woman to do it unsupported, um, well, self-supported, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, I was carrying my own stuff on my back, um, but it's a bit of a difficult one to kind of, quantify like that because the coast is so varied you can take so many different routes around it you could kind of you could make it three thousand miles to probably about eleven thousand miles if you did like every squiggle and every island so it's almost a bit it's a bit arbitrary it's a bit difficult to pin down but i'm pretty sure i was the first woman to do a self-supported loop of the coast kind of as i did it basically yeah i mean <laughs> whatever it was it was an amazing achievement and how long did it take you yeah, so it took me 10 months, um, which I was actually talking to friends about this the other day. I feel like it was almost a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I roughly worked out how far I thought I might be running a day and said, oh, I think it will take me about 10 months. And then I think especially like towards at the beginning, I wasn't running loads of miles each day. I sort of eased in quite gently. And then towards the end, I think I sort of started to be ready for it to be finished. So I was kind of working to that 10 month deadline almost so I kind of then ended up fitting it into that so yeah it was 301 days I finished on August bank holiday weekend wow and so you were would have been running in the depths of the winter yeah so I set off on November the 1st like staring right down the barrel of an English winter and at the time I, that probably seemed like a ridic- like a mad idea and I started to think it was a bit of a mad idea when I I had wet feet for months on end and it was really cold and it was yeah the sort of winter of 2015-16 I don't know if anyone remembers it probably not as well as I do but it was <laughs> and like the trails were just so muddy I was getting battered by storms the whole time but actually and, and the only real reason I set off then is because I'd had this idea around the March of that year and it was a friend at the time was like oh I think I thought I'd go in like a couple of years and he was like oh no go in six months otherwise you'll never go at all which looking back I think was actually quite good advice because I think I would have ended up talking myself out of it but um I think it was actually quite good to set up in winter because it was took so long I would have had to do pretty much I had to do pretty much the whole year anyway I wouldn't have really been able the only real way to do it would have been to say set up within about February and then maybe miss like December and January but I think it would have been really demoralizing going back into winter whereas for me it was kind of always getting better and I think it would have actually been really hard to go from August like yeah back into winter so actually I think it was the best way to do it although that wasn't intentional at the time and actually it's such I love that time in spring where you start to see glimpses of hope and things come alive and it's it's I'm sure that gave you a little extra boost as well. Yeah, definitely. I remember saying quite a few times over the winter, I was like, I think I'll cry the day it's light till six o'clock. Like, I can remember the light being a big thing. And then yeah. the day it was, I was so happy. And then, yeah, it did just feel like it kind of just got better and better because I guess I got fitter. I started being able to do longer miles, which kind of made it feel a bit more like I was on like a proper adventure. <laughs> and then, yeah, the weather, like as I ran down the East Coast, because I started in Greenwich in London, I went clockwise, so did sort of the south coast, then around Wales, the east coast, the west coast, I mean, 
Scotland. And as I came back down that east coast of England, it just felt like I was on holiday. Like it was so hot. Quite a few of like my friends and family visited because we were getting a bit closer to home. And it was it was like it was great. My tan was out of control. Was, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so ridiculous. I've actually seen a picture. I think it might have been Instagram or somewhere of your sock line. Yes. <laughs> and it, well, that's impressive. When I had my running kit on, I looked really tanned. But obviously, I had the strongest like shorts, t-shirt, and sock line ever. And so, when, like, I went swimming a few times at the beach. People were just looking at me like, "You look ridiculous!" <laughs> like, you've done a dodgy fake tan there. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. Should have taken your socks off. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what what this podcast is kind of all about is the power of moving in nature. That's kind of why I started it. And you were saying that you were working in an office job and not feeling it. And then you just had this idea. And was part of that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, was part of that just that feeling of wanting to get out of the city to break free and to, to just be in touch with our natural world? Yeah, I think almost the fact, I think I definitely didn't kind of feel like that so like explicitly at, at the time. But I think the very fact I almost like made the decision to go on that trip, because I like I said I really wasn't particularly like I hadn't been a sporty kid I hadn't grown up doing like endurance challenges like I really really had no idea what I was doing but I was just I'd started working and it almost feels like a bit of a cliche to say it but I was just sitting at work thinking this can't be it like I can't sit at this desk for another like 50 years this is horrible this is so bleak and I just, yeah, kind of, I guess felt quite compelled to go and do this thing. And I think the fact that I, I had that feeling, even though I had no idea what I was doing, I didn't really know what, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I think does show how much that kind of pull of like, I think how natural, yeah, like be, moving and being in nature actually is for us in a way that I think even when we don't quite consciously realise is very true because I think otherwise why did I want to go and do that whereas there must have been something like innate it was instinctive to to go out and yeah really get in touch with that world that was obviously so different to the one that you were living in at the time and I think it's just like and also I, I always say that if I if I could do it like obviously with caverns I was very very privileged to be able to take like 10 months of my life out to go and do something like this and like able-bodied and but anybody of like a similar I was not yeah fit or sporty and I think if I could go run that far then literally almost anyone could and like physically um and I think that shows like how much that like way of movement is natural to us because yeah I wasn't a runner but somehow I don't know my body put up with it yeah well I know there's a quote that I read somewhere or that inspired you that was something that went along the lines of and you don't need to be strong enough on day one to get to day 10. Yeah so that was I listened to that actually fairly recently in a it was a podcast um Nicole Antoinette um does called Real Talk Radio and she was actually talking to somebody about her their journey to sobriety and they were talking about yeah this idea that you don't have to be strong enough on day one to get to the year 10 or whatever it might be of whatever you're doing and I think we really often like look at a project and we think oh could I do that right now sitting here and most time the answer is no like you probably couldn't but you can do that very first bit of it and then a bit more and then a bit more and I think especially with like longer physical challenges much more so than say like going to try and run an ultra marathon a one day ultra marathon tomorrow you do have time to kind of build up and kind of train on the job a bit and that way it's I actually think it's a lot I don't want to say easy but it's more doable almost because 
you've got 10 months to figure it out. Whereas if you try and go and run a hundred kilometers tomorrow, that's like quite an intense thing to do. Yeah. And, and I guess it's that whole mind over matter a lot of the time. And it's very easy to go. I couldn't do that. I would never be to do that. And you're already putting the blockers up. Yeah. When actually, you know, it is possible. It's very possible. And, and I guess you, you weren't, doing it as a race as such were you you didn't you weren't trying to hit a time no. other than the fact that you obviously had taken realized financially how how long you can take take off um so for you I'm guessing it was more about the experience of it than the actual you know getting from A to B in a set amount of, of, of days for example yeah exactly and I think I, it's something I was almost like struggled with a little, not so much now but like especially when I first finished and I met people I think people kind of expected me to be like super fit and like this like really serious runner and actually I think when you're doing something like that each each day the achievement isn't particularly like remarkable like most days I was going for like a very slow not particularly long run a lot of the time especially at the beginning when I was sort of like getting used to it but it's just like stacking those up in a chain that I guess makes an achievement that sounds quite big on paper but actually like sometimes and I used to find it quite stressful sometimes because I, I was so lucky that so many people came around with me and I met with amazing people and it's fantastic but whenever like the serious runners came I just feel quite stressed because I'd be like are they expecting to go really fast and I'd be like I know that I can cover the distance in the day but I'm going to stop and have some sandwiches and like look at the view and walk up this hill and and I think I almost found that a bit hard to yeah explain to people sometimes but yeah it was definitely about the experience and I yeah met stayed with so many people and it was just incredible yeah and and, and I know you're saying that you're not a serious runner but and I love the fact that one of your first running experiences was running American dress as a crayon yeah the crying crayon the crying crayon <laughs> I've told this story so many times like stuff of legends so basically I so yeah, I guess to backtrack a little bit, I'd started running in, it was January of 2013. I was doing my year abroad while at university. And I think I'd always, I don't know what it was. I just always liked the idea of running. Like I start, people had started to keep sort of running blogs and stuff that I loved reading, but I don't know, it felt all felt a bit unfathomable. And I started running and um, I set, I, yeah, I first of all decided I wanted to run a half marathon, which and, and the thought, at that time, I thought running for two hours was just mind-blowing. I was like, I can't believe my legs would do that. But I trained for this half marathon, and it went okay, and I finished it. And I immediately signed up for a full marathon because I, was, I wanted to raise some money for some a charity at university. Um, and then my training, like, fell off a cliff. The race was about three days after my final university dissertation hand in. I'd spent a week in the library drinking Monster and eating Domino's pizza and not getting any sleep. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a good like, athletic up. Um, but yeah, so I was dressed as a purple Crayola crayon um, to try and, which was just a bit of a joke with my friends because during Freshers Week at university, I dressed as, as a purple Crayola crayon. So they were like, dress as a crayon for the marathon, we'll sponsor you a bit more. So I turn up for this marathon, it's Milton Keynes Marathon, which I have to say, I'm sorry to the organisers, is one of the most boring races in the world. It's just all like dual carriageways, like the grid system in Milton Keynes. If you're trying for like a fast time, it's probably a great race, but just to amble around it is so slow. I mean, so dull. And um, I got about 18 miles in and just died. I didn't know that you're meant to eat anything. Like I just didn't understand running. I just think I had like a sip of water 
that hit the wall in a big way and spent the next eight miles basically walking and crying and a small child called me the crying crayon and um, that was a low point of my life <laughs> things can only get better from there why is there a crying crayon <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know why that and that was, that was in may 2014 and then it was the following march time that i kind of decided to go and run around the country which feels like i don't know how i got from there to there <laughs> One extreme to the other but was were there days on on your 5,000 run where you did feel a bit like the crying crayon like you did I'm, I'm guessing there must have been days where you felt a little bit like what am I doing oh my gosh yeah loads of them I've, whenever I like talk I actually have like um I've got some some friends that I was talking to about like who have fairly like new friends and I was talking to them about running around the coast and they're like when are you like are you gonna cry in a scene because you just seem to talk about crying the whole way around the coast and I was like yeah I did do quite a lot of crying um because I think they were just I think the days that I found really hard were there was this patch in sort of like so I set up November it probably would have been around February of March of the following year and I was about four months in but because of the way I like eased in quite gradually I was probably about a fifth to a quarter of the way through the actual distance and I just remember thinking, I've run like a thousand, two thousand miles, which is really far. And if I'd just told everyone that I was going on a thousand mile adventure, it almost just fits into this like very long way category. It's almost no different to 5,000 miles. And everyone probably would have been just as like impressed and like think thought it was just as ridiculous. And I was like, why have I added this extra like 4,000 miles on? And I remember finding that mentally really hard. To get my head around and then also there were just a lot of days where it was quite kind of mundane like I think people expect going on an adventure to be like exciting all the time and actually it's like there's a lot of like quite boring bits you're just sort of like doing the same thing over and over and yeah there was definitely my mum jokes that she like lost a year of her life to answering the phone to me like grumpling around the coast <laughs> well, that was a bad day. but equally there must have been times when nature just blew your mind yeah so like I know I kind of it would have been around the February time that I was like oh I don't because also I was very very aware that I was so lucky to be able to do this thing and, and it was meant to be fun and I think obviously these things are hard but I kind of hate it when people do big adventures and just really ham up how difficult it is and it's like you chose to do this and you're so lucky to be able to do it so I didn't want to do it but I was miserable so I came up with what I called the two-week rule which was if if from any if I had a really bad day and then two weeks later I was still having a terrible time, I was allowed to give up and quit and go home. But if in that time something amazing happened, or even just something like faintly enjoyable, I was allowed that kind of reset that clock almost. And in that time, something great always happened. And it's just, I think it's just those moments when you're just out and about and you just feel so small. Like I always said like one of the best moments of the whole thing, I was running around the Exmoor coast path. So um, on like the North Devon coast, um, on the Southwest coast path, it would have been, yeah, around Feb, no, it would have been January sometime. And it was like a really first sunny day we'd had for ages. And I was running along the coast path and on this section of it, you're like right on the edge of the cliff. And there was kind of, a, there's a big like sheer drop either, kind of either side of you up and down. And then just towards me came this herd of Exmoor ponies. And I was like, well, I'm getting trampled. That's it. This is the end of me. Like, there's nowhere for me to go. And they just kind of, like, it was like the Red Sea parting around me. These ponies just like went, like filtered around up 
like, I don't know how they stayed on foot, like on these brackeny cliffs. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the world is amazing. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I think that was definitely a standout moment of just like nature. <laughs> yeah. And some, were you by yourself when you experienced that? Yeah. I think sometimes those moments when you're by yourself and you're just amongst you know, the natural world can be so powerful because you haven't got anybody to, to tell you whether it happened or not, but you just yeah. know in your heart and your soul that that happened and you experienced that and you were at one with that moment. I think I almost, I'm always, always careful saying this because I've got so many fantastic friends who I run with all the time. And for me, running is a very social thing. And I also, like when I was doing the run, I was like the, running around the coast, I was so lucky that so many people kind of gave up their time to come and help me. But I love running and being outside by myself as much as I like doing it with other people because of that. And I think you just sort of like, you're so much more in touch with yourself. And I think something that's quite difficult about doing like endurance things with other people is your sort of like ebbs and flows are going to come at different times. They never match up. And I think when you're by yourself, you, you obviously experience the lows, but then when you're like, like I've cried before at a run because I'm like, this is just so great. <laughs> like I'm just out here, I'm running down the hill, the sun's shining, it's beautiful. And then you get some sort of like biblical storm or like, yeah, come across some ponies. And it's just, yeah, it is like indescribable, isn't it? Yeah. And speaking of, of community, I know um, I saw that you, you, you did sort of tie this into the trip because you were going into schools to give talks as well. Yeah, so I basically, when I set off, I was I wanted to raise money for Young Mai. I, I think especially I felt like it was a bit self-indulgent to just go on a big run. <laughs> I felt like I needed to give it some meaning of some sort. Um, but I was raising money for Young Minds, as, uh, who are children's mental health charity. Um, and so along the way, I went to, a, not honestly, not quite as many as I'd hoped to, just because it was a bit difficult with schedules. It, it, it got a bit difficult things but I went and did um yeah talks at quite a few different primary schools and kind of showed them all my kit and like at one school in the Scottish Highlands I got to go and do the daily mile with them where they every single day run a mile around the playground and it was just like yeah it was just great and I don't know it, kids all they all they ever wanted to know was where I went to the toilet so it felt <laughs> very grounding <laughs> I was like and it's, it's it's just nice talking to kids about this because I think I'm not always the I don't know some people are just fantastic with kids really naturally and I don't always feel like that way but it was I don't know I feel like adults were all very like complimentary and like very genuine but always saying nice things and it was nice just to go and like talk to yeah a bunch of eight-year-olds who just asked you random questions <laughs> but um yeah and it was really nice and hopefully managed to sort of like bring it to life a bit more than maybe when they go and get people go to talk schools and talk to them and just like it's all a bit far away I was like I'm literally here I ran here from London I left six months ago and here I am with my back yeah and that's it you just turned up with everything that you had yeah at that time and it was you know for the kids to see that it's not like you were going to the schools yeah you know, in retrospect you were going there in the midst of it with you know the mud up your back of your legs and all sorts I'm sure most of the time yeah my, my best experiences were like because yeah, I stayed with a lot of different people, which kind of became about really naturally. I thought I'd camp the whole time because I knew I couldn't afford to stay in hotels or anything um, the whole time. And it ended up becoming a bit of a domino effect. So I was put, putting video divers up and people would get in touch and say, when you come through here, do you need somewhere to stay? And then it'd be like a friend of a friend, a friend of a friend of a friend. And it all happened quite naturally. And it was just always really humbling, but people would just let me stay in their homes. And I, I stayed with a few people um, yeah for like a couple of nights and 
they'd yeah, be letting me like read bedtime stories to their children and like we'd do paintings and they were just like some of my best moments are sitting at someone's kitchen table like yeah just doing painting with the kids and just felt yeah yeah very lucky to have been allowed into so many people's homes I guess which is an experience that not that many people get yeah and I'm, I'm sure when you set out that's not what you thought you'd be getting back from the trip but actually times like that you know kindness of strangers can be the most incredible things and it can sort of give you a different perspective on the world as well I think yeah definitely yeah it's completely unexpected I know that I had friends who well I'd got in touch with a few different people who had done big adventures as part of planning it and asked their advice and stuff and they all said like prepare yourself for this kindness of strangers that you'll experience but I just thought they'd all done things like far-flung places and come across like tribes in the middle of jungles and I just thought that won't happen in the UK like when I'm running around Southampton like I don't know why no offense to Southampton but <laughs> but it it really did and it was it was like mind-blowing how kind people were and I think I I don't know I always like put a lot of pressure on myself that I was going to let people down I I used to get a bit nervous going to stay with someone like I don't know maybe they'll think I should be more exciting than I am and I'm just me but actually they were all just so people were just yeah absolutely incredible like it was mind-blowing how many people were nice to me and did obviously it's given you a note newfound appreciation for 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 people yeah. um, but I'm curious also to know if, if the amount of time you spent in nature gave you a newfound appreciation for the natural world and I guess for our country as well yeah that, so I guess kind of two things like in nature I think there's something really special especially about having done it for almost a full 12 months and kind of just seeing on a day-to-day basis how the seasons change and, and just being outside through it all. Like my dad's a gardener and he's outside every single day of his life. And he says the same. And he's like, you realize when you're, I think especially in the UK, we have this thing about the weather being terrible all the time. And I know when we were chatting before we started recording, you were saying that it was really wet and rainy today in Kent. So yeah. there is some truth to that. But my dad always says that out of a whole year, there are probably five days that he's properly like wet outside gardening. And I think that's quite true. Like, there was a lot of bad weather, but the actual days that it was like really miserable weren't that many. Like there'd be moments and then the sun would come out. And I think actually that contrast is something I really like about being outside in the UK like you have like four seasons in a day and it it does I think yeah I sort of said as well like it does make it feel really special like you'll be in a storm and then the sun will come out and it just feels like the best thing ever and it's so it's so simple and I think I just think the UK is fantastic I always have to convince myself to go anywhere else now because I think there's so much variety of what we have here in the UK and I think yeah it's a great place to go outside and I actually I quite like the unpredictable weather um, yeah, I, I I have to agree with you there. I think the different weather gives us different. Uh, well, yeah, it gives us balance, doesn't it? Because we appreciate the, the warmth so much. But equally, I do know that once we get to the end of the summer, I'm sort of quite ready to cozy up yeah. indoors and have that cozy feeling. And and it's nice to have the, sort of the best of both worlds in a way. I mean, saying that it is May right now, and it has <laughs> been raining and hailing here in Kent, and I would. Spring, but yeah, I'm like all right well May come on now yeah but um but yeah I think that is that is so true and I do have a thing I like to say there's no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing 
And I think, yeah, I think there's something that I really, something, and yeah, one of the main things I love about like running, walking, whatever it is, just being outside, is how much it makes you appreciate those small things. Like you go outside for a day and you get battered by the wind and the rain, and then you come home and you get into your tent and you put on a dry pair of socks and have a cup of tea, and it's just the best thing. And I think like there's always like so much going on in our lives, and it's really easy to always think I need like bigger and better. And actually, I think you go outside and you realize all you need is to be like warm and dry and have something to eat. And I think there's something no matter who you are, that's true. Like it doesn't matter how much money you've got at the end of the day outside, you just want a cup of tea and something warm to put on. And I think that is like yeah, really nice part of going outside. Oh, definitely. And I know that that with that cup of tea for you comes quite often a piece of cake as well. <laughs> Because I love that when I was reading about you, I was like, you always mentioned that you you got powered with cake. <laughs> yeah, it became almost like a bit, it just became a bit of a running joke in the end. I think because, yeah, I was making these sort of like video, like one take, like video diaries every day. Um, And I guess like a lot of the days were a bit saving. I was never really sure what to talk about sometimes. I just always ended up talking about the cake I'd eaten. And it became a bit of a kind of, yeah, then people would like everyone I stayed with people came met me would bring me more cake and it got a bit out of hand at times to be honest um but yeah it was always it was funny I definitely did eat a lot of cake going around yeah but you could totally justify I mean you need the energy right so yeah I definitely took like carb loading to a new level and one of the main things I finished actually was I was so excited just come home and eat some vegetables because every time I stayed with somebody they were amazing but I think they think oh you've been running so you need like a huge bowl of pasta and which was true but I was like just give me a side salad (laughs) somebody give me an avocado (laughs) yeah and did you when you were camping were you carrying food with you as well or were you just popping into shops so you didn't have to have the weight yeah, so the good thing about um, the the well the British coast in general is because of like our fishing history and also like tourism, it's actually really well populated. Even in the more remote parts, I would generally go through a village with a shop every day. I can't really. There might have been like two days that I didn't go past anything. I had to stock up a bit. And obviously those remote places had to be a bit more organised and make sure I didn't miss the place with the shop or whatever it was. But I didn't carry a. St- I, well, I started off with a stove and then decided that I just didn't really. I could put up with eating cold food on the days that I was like camping. So, my favorite camping meal, which um, when I was writing my book, my editor was horrified by. She was like, "You're going to give people food poisoning." But I think it's okay. I mean, it wasn't particularly nice, but it was. You know, you get like the pouches of microwave rice, microwave rice. Yeah. That's already cooked. I used to just eat cold rice. And then I used to get like a tin of salmon and then whatever else the corner shop might have and make this like jumbo thing. I mean, it wasn't very nice, but that was what I ate a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it gave you protein. It gave you the yeah. carbs. It was, you know, it's, I think the times when I've done a long distance cycle or a long distance paddle board or whatever, you suddenly appreciate food as fuel. And yeah. it's amazing. Your, your cravings are exactly what your body needs bit protein carbs sugar whatever it is you really tune into those cravings so yeah I totally agree and I definitely find that even now like when I'm training if I'm like training harder for something I eat a lot I've just na- not even consciously at all but I naturally find myself eating a lot less like rubbish and cake and chocolate and biscuits I obviously do still eat those things but I think because your body just tells you what it wants and it's like no I need some like nourishment because you're training so hard whereas when I'm like not really doing much I feel like you don't get those cues quite as much and and when where was you know the most beautiful 
part of the UK do you that you experienced on this trip? Yeah, so I think I, I always cheat a bit when people ask this because I just think the whole of the southwest coast path is incredible, but it's 630 miles. It's definitely not one place. But I just think there are a lot of other places, and I especially found this in Scotland, the coast is stunning, but it doesn't, there's not necessarily the infrastructure, the coast paths to kind of be, so I was, quite a lot of times I'd be maybe like running on a road, a little bit inland. And then when I got to the coast, it was incredible and the glimpses of it. But on the Southwest Coast Path, for the most part, the coast path is literally like cut into the cliffs and you're there and you've got like the sea on one side and then, yeah, all these kind of cliffs and fields and sheep and cows on the other side. And you just really feel like you are there by the sea. And it's also like, it's really well signposted, really well maintained. And I just think it's beautiful there. Um, so I think the whole Southwest Coast Path is great basically. And especially on the kind of South Coast, you get this like amazing blue turquoise oceans, like out of hol holiday brochures and all these secret coves. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's beautiful. But then I don't, there were parts in the Scottish Highlands that were like amazing as well, just cause they were so remote and you wouldn't see anyone else for hours and hours. I'm glad you said those two places because next week I'm heading down to Cornwall nice. and in the summer I'm taking my camper van up to the Scottish Highlands. Oh, perfect. So I'm, I'm glad that you said those. I'm like, great, tick and tick. <laughs> yeah, you know, whereabouts in Cornwall are you going? Um, well, we're heading down to St Ives, but um, <laughs> we're sort of bits and pieces all over really. But yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the, the Cornish coastline is incredible and I've, I've walked lot of that south west coast path in patches yeah. and it i you can't beat it you know that yeah. that part between ives and zena is one of the most dramatic parts yeah. and it's so beautiful and i think that is that is it takes your breath away and you forget yeah. you know you look at all these pictures i think of thailand and places like that and think <laughs> paradise but actually you stand you know on the edge of the coast uh down in cornwall or devon and you and that is paradise to me yeah Agree, and I just think you it, you do just feel so like 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 nature is here. <laughs> You're like standing on the coast, and you can hear hear the waves. There's like seabirds in the sky, and I I just love it. Yeah, I went down to the South Devon coast yesterday, just for a few hours, and I think I always forget how great it is, and then I go back and I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can totally imagine. So, so, so speaking about your book, yeah. Um, obviously, this is huge. Like, you know, you must have had to revisit the whole trip in order to start start writing it. So, is it is it very much sort of a journal about your trip, or is it more like a sort of a story, or, or how how did you get get to writing it? Yes, it's definitely very much kind of a story of the trip, more than I've. I've I've been quite insistent whenever we've talked about marketing it and stuff with my publishers that I, I want people to realise that they're not going to get like a how to go on a long run guide and that's not what I wanted to write and I don't want people to be disappointed that that's not what they're getting so it's very much I think it's yeah hopefully I've, yeah I've tried really hard to get across how incredible specifically the coast of Britain is because it is amazing but I just think also that like feeling of just wanting to do something and kind of what that's like just to go and have a go at it but um yeah, it took me about, I first started talking to the publishers who, I've, who I'm publishing it with when I was actually doing the run. And then my editor, I kept saying to her, yeah, I'm writing, I'm writing. And like the years that followed and I wasn't really. Um, but I think it takes a while to have like any perspective on an experience. And I'm actually really glad now that it did take me five years to get around to writing it. Because I think 
if I'd done it at the time, it just would have been a completely different book. So yeah, I kind of, we start at the point where I'm sort of making the decision to go and then kind of roughly chronologically sort of follows follows through the whole thing, I think. And I've always tried to get across all the weird and wonderful things that happen on a big adventure because yeah, I just met so many people and saw, and it, there was like quite a lot of quite funny moments. So try to get, try to get all that across, but it does feel a bit like I'm letting the world read my diary. We've had some reviewers read it for endorsement so far and all of them have made comments about how honest it is. And I'm like, oh no. That's good though. <laughs> Honestly, the best policy. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I can I completely understand that. You know, I think sometimes it takes time for something to really sink in. And also, you know, for you to properly reflect, you almost need to have had a few years after the trip to realise how that trip has maybe guided you through the next few years of your life. Because I'm sure it must have influenced you in what you've gone on to do in so yeah. many different ways. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big part of it for me, which I... I think it's a reason it took me a while to write the book is I was kind of in the year really leading up to going I, I was dating this guy it wasn't great it wasn't a very kind of healthy situation he wasn't necessarily the nicest person and it I don't know I think in the way that like a relationship you have in your sort of early 20s can really like affect you and like kind of yeah crush your confidence a bit and then I was and I couldn't really work I couldn't tell this story without sort of touching upon that and now like, I feel completely fine and over it but I think it took me a while specifically to kind of get some perspective on that bit that actually was like a really big part of deciding to go and, and everything that happened um so yeah it was, I think being in the place where I know I think I was very much like I either want to write this book really honestly and tell it all or not at all like I didn't want to write this like sort of sugar-coated wholesome adventure story that wasn't wasn't really the case I guess um but yeah I'm excited excited for people to read it yeah I mean it's I guess it's going to be like handing over like your baby you know once you sort of give it out to the world um yeah I can't wait to read it I'm really excited I've already decided I'm gonna read (laughs) yeah it's out on July the 8th so um yeah I'm really excited I keep telling my mum there's some bits that she can't read (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna give you like a slightly edited version mum this is the mum version especially for you um yeah mum grandma you can have this one yeah that's really nice <laughs> so so and I guess the next step is just is just focused on that book is that is that what it's going to be and telling that story and everything that comes with that yeah so I think kind of in the sort of years like the couple of years following finishing I just really didn't know what to do and I think something I would always say to anyone going on a big adventure is have your have a bit of a coming home plan because I had no money left whatsoever and I had finished this big thing and I was living in my parents spare bedroom and I just didn't know what to do and I think if I if I did like a big thing again I'd definitely save a specific portion of like my budget just for like coming home and having a life when you get home although yeah it's easy to say that in hindsight so I just came home I didn't know what to do I moved straight back to London and took another job at a tech startup just because I, well I needed some money and I didn't know what to do and I think and I almost kind of like I didn't want to talk about running around the coast anymore and I just sort of I stopped doing much exercise or going outdoors at all because I almost just like completely distanced myself from it and I feel like it's taken me a few years to regain some balance I think and now like going out doing like all of my friends we all just go out running and hiking and camping all the time and I feel like now it's such a big part of my life again um in a way that's really nice and I've kind of recently 
gone more work started working more freelance rather than having sort of a nine to five day job like I had for the past four years um kind of as a thanks to getting made redundant thanks to COVID but it's all worked out okay so um yeah I think I'm definitely hoping over the next year or so hopefully everything will go well with the book and maybe I'm not I'm not I definitely would like I think I'd really like to go and do another adventure that was more maybe like a couple of months rather than 10 months and like I don't know go and live somewhere in the mountains or something so not really sure what I'm gonna do but I feel like I'm moving a bit more towards having all the aspects I loved of the adventure but in my like day-to-day life whereas before it always felt a bit one or the other like either working nine to five in London or being on a 10-month run so trying to find that middle ground at the moment. Yeah and you know when you get that feeling to do something it just happens doesn't it it just almost comes out of nowhere sometimes and then that's when you know like okay now's the time now's for the next now's for the next adventure it doesn't it it shouldn't be forced I don't think because you don't want to be doing something for the sake of it because that will be so and you're such speaking to you you're such if you're such an honest person a genuine person and I can only imagine that anything that comes up next will just come from a place of authenticity yeah, well, yeah, I hope so. I hate, and I think that's kind of like when I first finished, why I very much didn't want to go down the sort of like full time adventure route because I hated the idea of doing something just because it was like, well, I've got to do this so that I can like do talks and write a book about it. And I, I really didn't want that to be the case because I, was like, I just knew that personally, I'd, and maybe for some people that'd be like motivating and they'd actually really enjoy it. But I think I knew that wasn't really for me. But um, yeah, I've definitely got some like, ideas and things. So I'd like to think might do something again in the future watch this space and so so the final question I have for you is a question that I ask all my guests um which is looking back at the ripples you've made in your life what are the biggest lessons you've learned keeping your mind and body healthy yeah so I think my like very practically I went basically yeah when I finished um the run I had a couple of different jobs and then I started working at a walking charity and we had this step count challenge we were testing different step count step like challenge counter things and I was still living in London and it turns out I'm quite competitive and I started walking everywhere because I was obsessed with winning this like team challenge and that was like three years ago now and now I still walk or cycle like oh I don't I don't have a car I walk everywhere basically that I can and I think for me, like just it's fitting move, fitting movement into your day that isn't necessarily I'm training hard and going for long runs, but just if at all possible, like walking or cycling somewhere instead of getting on the tube or driving there, I think just makes such a huge difference. And I think almost that also like opened the door a bit to me then realizing how, realizing how much happier I was when I went outside all the time. And now actually I am like doing those slightly more intense things a lot more as well. But yeah, my main thing would just be walk more, walk everywhere. <laughs> and then I think you can still get that experience we were talking about of sort of being outdoors day to day. And obviously I know it's a bit different at the moment with lots of people working from home and like, but I think just like making an effort to get outside every day. And then you do really appreciate those like seasons changing and like, I've recently been wild swimming quite a lot and I think that's sort of done the same thing for me that in like December and January it was so cold and we were in for like 30 seconds and now even though it's still cold we can like stay in for a few minutes and you're not freezing afterwards and just anything to like get a bit of being outside day to day I think it's hard to explain how tangibly that actually does affect yeah and I I definitely agree with that and for me the first thing I do is I wake up and I get outdoors yeah and you know most of the time well it, it always starts with walking my dog and then depending That's on so what the weather is and and the, and the rest of the time it'll be either jump in the sea for a swim or a sup 
or if I can't fit that in, then it, you know, a bit later on. But at least I know that before I've done anything, I've got outdoors. Yeah. It totally changes your mindset. Yeah. And I think I definitely am guilty sometimes thinking, oh, well, I can't, I haven't got time to go for like an hour long walk. So I'm just not going to bother. And then, and I definitely, I had this bit even just last week, I felt like I was really overwhelmed when I to do this. I had way too much to do. And I was like, no. So I like didn't go to running club and I like didn't go for a walk in the morning and then it'd been like three days of being inside and I wasn't being at all productive because I was just grumpy and like a horrible mindset of just being inside and I think the time you can take even if it's just 20 minutes to go outside I think I saw Al Humphreys put a tweet up the other day that was like everyone should like go for a walk for 20 minutes in the morning unless you're really busy and then you should go for an hour and I think that's really true like I think it always like pays dividends even if you think you're really busy and I think yeah you can get all those benefits of kind of being outside on a big adventure on a smaller scale, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, Elise, it's been so good chatting to you. And honestly, you're, you're such an honest person and I am and I can definitely see this coming out in the book as well. So I can't wait, I can't wait to, <laughs> to read it. Um, so if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, find out about more about you, where can they? Yeah, so I'm Elise C. Downing on Instagram, Twitter, and just Elise Downing on Facebook. Um, I mostly post stuff on Instagram lately and then occasionally remember to do Facebook and Twitter. And I do have a website that's elisedowning.com, which is largely dormant and I should start writing on again. So um, <laughs> you can find me in those places. Instagram's probably the best bet. Um, and I keep meaning to set up a newsletter so I can update people who don't have Instagram on things. Um, but then, and then coasting is available for pre-order now on all the main sites, Waterstones, Amazon, book depository bookshop.org all of them you can find coasting um and very much appreciate any pre-orders <laughs> yeah oh well thank you so much for coming and chatting to me today it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the start of podcast thanks so much for having me it's been great <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the start a ripple podcast if you like what you heard then please do subscribe and write a review it helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is by Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.